Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I am your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 78 with my friend Adam Bridgewater. You know, uh, you probably hear the audio sounds a little different right now. It is only going to be for a few episodes as my basement flooded where I record everything and a bunch of my equipment got ruined as well as, uh, you know, floors and walls and whatnot. So I am in my dining room recording. Very unique introduction indeed i uh i think this is maybe my favorite interview i've done so far because i i we discussed this uh, towards the end of the episode but me and adam have an interesting connection and and talking to somebody that i viewed as such a confident and sure of himself person and finding out that our biggest commonality are is our insecurities was incredibly powerful and we dive deep into that this was originally two and a half hours so i had to do some editing <laughs> uh and and we probably could have sat there and talked for another two and a half more so i will let you guys hear uh this wonderful conversation that i got to have with my friend adam you and i have lots in common my request is sent would you like to be my friend What I wanted to point out that I thought was funny, and I don't know if you noticed this in our text chain, but it is currently middle of August. Mm. The last time we texted was trying to set up this interview in August of 2019. (laughs) I did notice. I have a lot of text messages where I'll I'll be like, oh, um, life is kind of resuming. I should like reach out to this person again. And the last (laughs) message was like February 2020 or, you know. Well, that's what Erica's like, when's the last time you saw Adam? I was like, well, you got to take the pandemic into effect. <laughs> so I mean, sometime in 2019. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I started out with how I know people. Yeah. I know you from, I think, high school. Did we know each? Did you go to Pine Knob or, or, or Clarkston? I think we went to high school together. Just high um, school, right? Yeah. My brother and I had a weird um, junior high to early high school experience where uh, he had started to smoke cigarettes and wear chain wallets and have long hair like like you do as an oldest sibling um, or a young punk rocker. Uh, I mean, my brother, I think, did it for me. Yeah. <laughs> so my parents got really worried about him and put us into private school, oh. which is what every parent with uh, a, a kid they think is fucking up does with their kid. They put him into private school. So when we went to private school, we just like we're around more fucked up kids than when we were in public school. <laughs> so, interesting. Um, and fucked up in many ways. Like I'm not religious, so we can go down that road on how that's fucked up. But um, yeah, so we went to a private Christian school for my sixth and seventh grade, um, Aaron's seventh and eighth. And then uh, we were homeschooled after that because apparently it got worse when we were at Oakland Christian School. Um, Go figure. Yeah. And so (laughs) we were both homeschooled and bored out of our minds for one year, only homeschooled. Uh, The following year was my first year in public high school, which was like hybrid homeschool, hybrid uh, public school. So I took all my curriculum, my core curriculum as a, a video homeschool, Christian video homeschool class. Oh, God. And then in order to play soccer on the the high school team, I had to have four classes. So I took art, art, gym, and gym. So, uh, well, we met, then we met in high school. Yes, we met in high school, probably through the band scene somehow. Yeah, mutual friends. And, well, I I just wanted to 
kind of recap that just because we never really like hung out like we weren't calling each other and hanging out with each other but we ran in, in similar crowds and our lives always intersected over the last 20 years yeah in random spots but i, I try to piece together these little these little times because you're just this person in my life that i, I intersect with occasionally yeah our, our <laughs> venn diagram circles uh are like kind of swirling and yeah. every, every once in a while overlap <laughs> it's it's fun <clears throat> It's good times. Vin, um, Ven, it's Venn diagram. It is not Venn. Vin. It's Vin Diesel. Yeah, there's a Vin diagram. There's a Vin Diesel uh, Vin diagram meme. That's that's. I'm confusing reality with uh, social media again. <laughs> I'm gonna keep us on track and move backwards. Yeah. I, um, before you went to private schools and whatnot, you are born here, Clarkston. Yes. Um, uh, well, strictly Pontiac yeah, yeah. St. Joseph's Hospital. Everybody answers that the same freaking room four H. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Four <laughs> H. Oddly enough, floor three, but yeah. room four H. Yeah, weird um, one. Yeah. Uh, and then you're you're only like a year or two younger than your brother, right? You guys are close. Eighteen months. Eighteen months. Yeah. yeah. I'm Parents April. He's September. <laughs> no, uh, just enough time. <laughs> um, yeah. Did that create close relationship growing up? Um, so I'm sure Aaron has a very different perspective. And As we all do. <laughs> we've talked a lot about this. I think, um, growing up, we were close in the sense that like, I always wanted his attention and like, yeah, he's my older brother yeah. and like just older than me by enough to be cognitively advanced to the point where like, I could never keep up. I couldn't say things right, you know. I had like I didn't have a speech impediment, but like until probably five, I would say like my soft R's are like uh, give me a beal. <laughs> I wasn't saying give me a beal at five. Uh, I wish you were. Yeah, I probably should have been. Um, but no, we were, we were, we were close. Like we were together all the time. We did everything together. We played soccer together. We, um, you know, got our first guitars together. Um, we used to draw Ninja Turtles and Mortal Kombat characters together. That's yeah. like what you did if you came over to our house between the ages of, of, uh, I don't know, very young to maybe 12 or 13. Um, and at a certain point, um, I think he just kind of realized he had to be around me because my parents were like, okay, you boys are going over here. And if Aaron made plans with a friend that was clearly his friend, um, I would just try and tag along or I'd, I'd be yeah. made to tag along. Not that I, I needed to be made to, but like my mom or my dad would like make my brother take me with him. When uh, he started getting into his own stuff, did you try to get into that same stuff? I'm uh, just thinking, now I'm thinking like what I did with my brother, like he got Counting Crows. So I was like, I like Counting Crows. Yeah. I mean, and there are probably people, and... <laughs> there are probably people listening to this that have um, like some photos of my brother and I, and we're probably in like identical windbreakers with like gelled hair and just like the ambient sense that um, there's like a No Limit Records album playing in the background. Um, I, I definitely tried to be a lot like my brother yeah. for a very long time. And, and I didn't think I was, I wasn't conscious of it. Yeah, same. I just knew Aaron had the friends and like I, if I want to hang out with them, I've kind of got to be like Aaron. And like, in hindsight, this is how I've kind of metabolized all those memories. Uh, because it was a lot of like trying to be relevant in front of him and his friends and trying to be funny, trying to be, you know, I think us younger brothers, we resort to humor a lot. And like, that was kind of my sweet spot. Did so, you have your own group of friends or were you always trying to just 
I had some that. I had some one-offs. Okay. Um, <laughs> apologies to the one-offs who may be listening. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think I really had a consistent um, group of friends until like sophomore year in high school or okay. something like that, that I would call my friends. Um, when we were younger, uh, I went to elementary school with like Elliot Park. I don't know if you ever met yes. Elliot Park. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we were we were really good friends. We were, when we were young, went to like several WrestleManias or something. We saw yes. um, we saw the Undertaker literally come back to life to defeat defeat Yokozuna at uh, the Palace for yes. WrestleMania, whatever it was. Um, and then you know maybe a couple other people that I hung out with, but um, it was yeah a lot of hanging out with like our cousins um, and Aaron's friends, and really it just felt like and and. I don't know if I'm right or if I'm just like bitter about some of the more negative memories, but it always, it, it did always feel like I was trying to be a part of something I just wasn't welcome to. Yeah. Um, and I, I definitely have this residual sense that no one really wants to hang out with me still to this day. Like I have a hard time calling friends. Yeah. Um, I have a hard time. Um, I like to use the metaphor of like the Chinese plate spinners, like in the circus, like friends are like these individual plates. And my my brother just has a stage full of them that like, he's constantly running around, you know, spinning the little stick and all his plates are going and mine are just like shattered on the floor. (laughs) Like I have like one or two that I can concentrate on. It's it's not about concentration. It's about, do they really want to hear from me? And I I have doubts when I, when I ask myself that question. Do you think that stemmed from then? And it's just something you, I don't know. Um, Yeah. It's super interesting. Cause so, Full disclosure, like one of the things I wanted to ask you that now, like, I think stares in the face of what you just said is like, <laughs> you seem to have this, uh, you've always had this, uh, sort of confidence about you that, and this is externally, like, I don't know. I'm not saying this. No, this is how you feel. it. <laughs> You're not the but, first to misinterpret me that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. Cause that's, yeah, that's how I, that's how I've always read it. And like, uh, you're, you're this. And it's not a cocky confidence, but it's just like a, I'm secure with who I am. Like, yeah, if I see you, I see you. If I don't, I don't. Whatever. Um, Maybe some of that. If I see you, if I if I see you, <laughs> and if I don't, then I don't. Maybe that's that me back to me not wanting to admit that like this person may want to see me. Like, yeah. it's not that dark. I don't want to act like oh, yeah, I'm no. constantly moping about like I don't have any friends. But like, there there is this apprehension to call friends and and ask if they want to hang out because when I, I always think when I hang up, they're gonna be like, oh. Adam again. Like, did you do what I did when the pandemic hit, where you were like, "Are people going to call me and see see what's going on in me?" No, when the <laughs> pandemic hit, I was like, "Finally, <laughs> I was like, fucking finally, I can be alone and there's no like I don't have to give an excuse for not wanting to hang out." Because I think it's like metastasized into this. I'm just I'm not a hermit, but like I've got a, a small tight group of people I love and care about, yeah. and um. Unless something's going on with them, I really could care less about like trying to find something to do. I can relate. Yeah. I was very happy being at home for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I did, like I said, I did inevitably find my own friends. And I think that sense of do they really want to hang out with me was even, it was even present with the friends that I would call my own friends because yeah. um, I had a, a really tight group um, in high school and some of them moved away and got apartments like in Grand Blanc and like around town. And like, I was always trying to hang out with them. I'd be like, Hey guys, what's going on? They'd be like, yeah, we're hanging out. Come on up. And then 
if it was their apartment or wherever we were hanging out, it would seem like I would I would just like drop everything to try and get there to hang out, like yeah. le- leave a family thing, leave a try and get out of work early. Yeah. When I get there, it's like, oh hey, <laughs> like nobody would would like pay attention to me. Not like they owe me anything, but it would just feel like, oh shit, I I did it again. Like I. I came all the way here thinking like yeah. it's going to be a great time and really I'm just like an extra. Were you at that time putting people's like what you as people's assumed needs above your own in an effort to get that kind of validation? Yeah, yeah, so I yeah. became an expert at mirroring people yeah. um through my youth and and trying to hang out with my my brother and his friends um like they would have all these catchphrases and stuff that they would laugh at. There was made up words. And um, so I would try and like use those catchphrases like, okay, I see you guys think they're funny. Like I'll yeah. try and master it too. And when it came to my brother and his friends, like no matter how I said what they were saying, they would always go, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. And so I had this, you know, there's just another layer to this. Yeah, God yeah. damn it. I'm not good enough. I'm not funny enough. And then at a certain point, I just started making shit up and attributing it to other people. Uh, which is a trick I learned to get people who don't like you to laugh at things you say because they believe it came from someone cooler. Interesting. Yeah. And it it, it stuck with me for a really long time. And um, there's even still times where I'll catch myself with that urge of like, I had a clever thought that I think is hilarious, but in order to get these people to laugh at it, yeah. I need to say like Russell Brand said it or something like that. That's funny. I, I, I relate to that in a weird way where... I always have been, uh, it's funny when I, when I quit drinking, I was like, Oh, I'm not going to be a zany or anything anymore. I was like, Oh no, I'm still a fucking weirdo. Perfect. Uh, but I've always been, I've always said like random crap that makes no sense. You've always been a great improviser. Um, I'm surprised. Well, thank you. Uh, Have you ever taken improv classes? Uh, I've take, I took one at OCC and I loved it, but I always say weird shit and I don't know if it's the, the tone. I don't think it's the meaning because typically it makes no sense but people find sense in things that I say that are nonsense sometimes. And I often get asked like, Oh my God, what is that from? And it's always like, I don't know from the recesses of my random fucking brain. And that's where it comes from. Like if, it, <laughs> if, if someone said that to you when you were eight, you might've started on the habit that I, I got, which was like, Oh, I got it from Russell Brand. I yeah. didn't know Russell Brand when I was eight. And I don't know why I keep bringing up Russell Brand. It's just... <laughs> I don't know if we have the same thing, but like, I, I've always had this like, innate sense of like the rhythm and cadence of words and syllables and stuff and sometimes you can just piece together this magically sounding and feeling thing yeah. to say and like my my brother and i when we were kids like a lot of the funniest shit we used to say was just made up words that had this yeah. cool rhythm to them and yeah the the tone and, and the cadence yeah is is like a response yeah that doesn't have to make sense because if it just fits at the end of whatever just happened it just fits there yeah and yeah, that's, it's, it's strange. Cause in a lot of ways I'm like, Oh, like I, I get this, but it's so contradictory to this image that I've created of you. <laughs> so it's, and it's more reflective of how I feel about myself a lot of times. So it's just very funny. This is very funny to me. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to break down a lot of those, um, <laughs> constructs you might have, uh, it, cause you're not the first person to say, I thought X about you. And yeah. now that I know you you're this way you fucking asshole. you fucking prick um, but well let's let's jump back to you're you're kind of gaining your own social identity in high school uh and, yeah and what is what does that look like how is that is that like a turning point for you in that um respect? major turning point and i'm sure if 
like we could go all night on identifying um, what little moments were the catalyst for change that's probably still rolling through my being to this day. But like uh, my freshman year, this hybrid year of homeschool and yeah. four four classes of high school was literally the best year. Um, and and people like raise their eyebrows when I say that, like they think I'm lying or anything. But um, when I was homeschooled, I would have my my whole workday done in like two and a half hours. Um, and <clears throat> it was all that time that um, convinced my parents to buy me a drum set. So I started playing the drums nice. in like, um, I was I was like 11 or 12. So however old you are then. Um, and when we were homeschooled, I just had more time to play them. And then, so for going to Clarkston High School, it was like either the first four hours of the day or the last four hours of the day. And then we were just done. So um it was it was a lot of fun. Like I, I had my neighborhood uh, gang, my my brother and my neighborhood gang that we'd hang out with after we were done with homeschool, and then I started to meet people in in high school. And my freshman year, I had, um, uh, you know, still riding on my brother's coattails, who had grown his hair out. I I had long hair, like down to my collarbone or something, um, and it wasn't really working for me. You know, like I I wasn't doing much. Like no one was hanging out and. I will, I will say it was great because I made a lot of friends with the goth crowd. Like I wasn't goth, but, um, the thing I learned really on is like, they're just the sweetest people, you know? And, and I think that they were goth because they were trying to protect that sweetness in some way, because it wasn't until I started to branch out, I cut my hair, um, started dating Stephanie Nault as like, I think my first, my first legit girlfriend, um, and then I realized, like, this whole other faction of high school was interested in me. Um, but I still felt like one of the kind of guarded yeah. kids who hung out with the goth kids. That's um, funny. Do you think... I'm going to keep... You're triggering, like, every projecting question I can have. Uh, <laughs> uh, did you? Do you think you're, that Stephanie was, like, a gateway into hanging out with she was a, all these people? She was a catapult. Uh, yeah. into a lot of things so that was britney harris for me <laughs> yeah her and i also dated that's um, super funny <laughs> yeah and and never i don't think we ever kissed i think actually the one time i tried to kiss her she was just like okay good night she we actually still keep in touch brit's brit's a really cool girl yeah um anyway i say stephanie was a catapult because when we were dating i, I think our relationship lasted all of like maybe two months High school time, it's like two years, but like uh, actual real world time, maybe two months. But in that time, she was a cheerleader. And during a game, Map said something, like shouted something lewd to her. Um, I don't know if it's lewd. I'm, I'm sure he probably just made fun of her. But like whatever it was, I, in my chivalrous naivete, <laughs> I'm going to pronounce things like a douchebag all through this I interview. appreciate that. My chivalrous uh, naivete. Uh, <laughs> French, right? I, I decided to like confront Matt in school the next day. I didn't know who anybody was and who and how important connections were or anything. I was just like, this fucking guy insulted your honor? I'm gonna take him down. And like I I ran up on Matt. I think I think he'll tell you I, I slammed him into a locker. I don't know what was said, but like within a couple of days, Terry Quain was now my bully. It's because that Terry w- Quinn got me out of a bowl. That was uh, that was Matt's <laughs> big connection. Um, but um, he scared the shit out of me for years and, and ruined, literally ruined a lot of what was great about um, my freshman year 
on to yeah. sophomore year, all that. And, and I could be getting the timelines wrong because maybe I dated Stephanie's sophomore year. But at, at any rate, she was this catapult because of this moment. And my brother ended up dating Stephanie after we broke up <laughs> for a long time. It's my favorite part of the story. Yeah. So what I got out of the relationship is my brother had a girlfriend now and I had a bully. Yeah. Uh, who That's lasted so probably longer than any high school relationship. Yeah. Uh, we're probably getting off track. What was where we, we, were, we went from bullies to well, uh, your social uh, uh, construct changing in, in high school. And yeah. And it's funny because uh, at the time I had started taking weight training in sophomore year in high school, I believe. Uh, and your brother was in that class. And he and I no were shot. like, <laughs> he and I, yeah, he and I were actually like the two, I think, most serious non-football players that were yeah. were in weight training. Um, and I stuck with it all through high school. And like, I think he and I were just like, I, your brother might not agree, but I think I definitely looked up to him, yeah. even though he was maybe a year or two older. Um, and... I remember asking him to tell Terry to like leave me alone one night at a Steve Miller concert. Um, and he just had literally like a girl under each arm, half drunk. And he was like, whatever, man, I'll say something. Like, I don't know. And he never did. And that night was like the worst Terry ever was to me. Oh, great. And, and I won't recreate the scene, but it was just like, yeah, that it freshman year went from being the greatest like social experience and like introduction to like, Maybe I can find my own groups of people finally uh, to that, um, out of which was born like a lot of insecurities around like standing up straight and being seen and like showing myself and uh, for fear of just being seen by someone who didn't believe me and wanted to challenge me on it. Like, you don't deserve to be standing up that straight. I'm going to beat you up. Like, I'm going to bully you. Yeah. Uh, I still get shit for having good posture. <laughs> like, That's interesting. It's just the way I stand or the way I sit. Um, but I would feel so weird picking on someone's posture. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's like a... I don't even know what kind of a bully. It's not a punchy or a cerebral thing. It's just like... I think that's just like a projection of insecurities. It might be. Which yeah. I suppose that's what all bullies are. But Yeah. No, I think that if you see someone walking around with their shoulders back and standing up straight, your first thought isn't, oh, they must do yoga and breathe deeply. Like, it's that motherfucker thinks something about themselves that they don't deserve to. And I resent it. Um, I assign that kind of judgment for how people park. <laughs> well that's just true that's just that's, science that is I, I feel like i'm in good emotional control of my reactions to anybody in most situations but when it comes to how people act in parking lots or in cars <laughs> just, yeah it's, well there's this weird the anonymity to it that you're not like art you're not mad at the person you're like mad at the automobile you know and and there's also that's why i hate bmws oh, i hate them so much <laughs> My brother drives one. Oh no! Yeah, but he's not a dick about it. I have to it. delete that episode now. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's something like we haven't evolved to understand the true danger of like hurling through space at 80 miles an hour. So like, when someone cuts you off, suddenly that realization comes in, and you're like, I could have died. You fuck. Like, what are you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna bring us to the end of high school. Because I'm curious though. You you talked about taking like two art classes. And then I'm guessing that theme continued because you're, you've always been a creative to some degree, would you say? Like, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, we used to draw 
pictures of the Ninja Turtles in like Mortal Kombat and characters and like send them into Nintendo Power to see if we could get our, nice. our drawings. Did you uh, center published. that uh, like talent or at all in, in high school or anything like that? Uh, unintentionally. Okay. So like if I had to condense kind of what led me to my career and, and I guess what I would call a creative, being a creative person... I started dating um, Jessica Clotier in uh, sophomore year biology class. So funny. I'm texting um, with her right now. <laughs> yeah, she she was like this like gorgeous palm team girl who was also a total brain and yeah. was like I don't know if she was my lab partner or not, but I just remember asking her out, not thinking she would go out with me, and then we did, and she was like my first first love, like passionate like real, I, I know what love means kind of love. Yeah. And we were together for quite a while, but she always hated that I wasn't like good in school. And so um, I, I I got really poor grades freshman, sophomore year, and then uh, enter dating Jessica. And my grades the junior and senior year were, I think I got like a 3.5 and a 3.6 wow. or something. And uh, my GPA netted out to like a 2.6, which didn't get me into anywhere. Yeah. Um, I graduated with a 1.9. So uh, yeah, here, yeah, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so what was what did that create for a trajectory like as high school was ending? Was college on the radar? Or was it? Um, only because of Jessica. And okay. like, um, so, so you dated her for those last two years of high school? Um, the senior year, we were, no. Like okay. I... I I, I would say, like, for the next five years, I was still kind of chasing the possibility of a relationship with her. And we could we could probably go down this rabbit hole of me and, and women and, like, how women perceive me and how I perceive, like, uh, yeah, how I approach women and my confidence or lack thereof. Okay. Um, so a lot of that ties to, like, what I was going to say is, like, I, I remember these vivid nights where we weren't together, Jessica and I. I was just, like, manically driving around, like, trying to figure out what party she was at or something. And then I'd get there and realize, holy shit, what am I doing here? Like, I'm uninvited and I'm going to come in, what, this, like, uh, fuming, passionate ex-boyfriend? <laughs> like, I don't live in a movie. I mean, maybe I did live in a movie, but... Um, so that was kind of how that fizzled out and it was a big learning experience. Um, she's a, she was a great person. I think we were just both young and dumb yeah. and, um, but, but over that time in high school, um, I did keep taking art classes and I took literally every elective Clarkston had to offer. I took welding. I took, um, like industrial design. I, I took, know we had welding, we had welding and it was, it was honestly one of my favorite classes. It was, um, it's one of those things you do where you're so in the moment because there's that element of danger yeah. and, and electricity and fire and focus. like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, so I had this really well-rounded creative experience. I took a computer science class and, the teacher about three months in, Pat Topping. I think I owe everything to Pat Topping because she was like, uh, you suck at my class, <laughs> you're failing, and there's nothing you can do to bring it back because I don't think you grasp the concepts of like C Sharp and C++ and all this. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's this program called Business Professionals of America, and there's a category in it called desktop publishing, which is what they used to call graphic design. Okay. Um, she's like, I see you doodling. I know that you're like, you're the only kid in school with a laptop because <laughs> a byproduct of Jessica forcing me to get, be a good student is I bet my parents I could get all A's and B's, and if I did, they'd buy me a laptop, nice. which happened. And um, 
I ended up being the only kid taking notes in class in high school. Yeah, a laptop before 2000 is yeah. pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it was to the point where teachers like wouldn't let me do it in class because they I don't know what they thought I was doing. There was no Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm typing. Um, so, yeah, um, she saw that I I had a, an artistic talent and had really no uh, I I could not handle C sharp C plus plus programming yeah. languages and all of that. Fucking so. Nice. She's like, I'll pass you if you if you enter this program and you, you got to try, you know, like you really have to try. And I just really like I loved it. Um, it was a place where I could go and not be around the people from school. So you could be whoever you wanted to be. Yeah. I, I didn't have to be this this persona I, I'd made up to just get by in, in high school. I could be this nerd who loved computers and loved graphic design or desktop publishing. And I ended up doing really well in that year's competition. I made a pin that some, uh, like, I think it's Southern Automotive Engineering Conference. It still goes on. It's like a yearly automotive okay. conference. And every year they do, like, a student design for an enamel pin that they trade at the conference. And I did one for Michigan. I think every state has a representative. Okay. Bring, I don't know how it goes. But my design won, and they made the enamel pin, and they, like, put me in the newspaper That's, for it and stuff. Do you still have stuff. a pin? Uh, no, but I still have the newspaper clipping. Right. <laughs> it's funny, because I have friends now who are, like, 10 years younger than me, and they're excellent animators, and they're incredible yeah. artists, and I'm like, you don't know what it was like yeah, being nerd. a designer in 1998. They put you in the newspaper for doing a graphic that became a pin. Like, <laughs> That's a funny sentence. Yeah. Um, nerd tech question, though. Do you remember, like, what programs you were using at that point? It was Photoshop, okay. Illustrator, but it's we like also Corel had Corel Draw. Or something. Yeah, we also yeah. had to learn Corel Draw and Corel Paint. Yeah. Um, PageMaker was the precursor okay. to InDesign, uh, Quark, all of those. Um, but that was so I didn't get into that stuff really um, until after Pat Topping made me take made me enter the BPA thing, uh, which I ended up going to. Uh, the state finals for that, um, they had like a dance at the Renaissance Center and this girl asked me to the dance and I'm Ooh. like, holy cow, this is my future. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to like skyrocket from here, you know? Um, but then I, uh, so from there I took um, advertising design at Oakland Technical Center. Okay. Um, Vogue for the Clarkston kids on the line. OTC. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, again, I owe uh, Chris Miner, the teacher at, uh, at OTC, I, I owe her a lot. Um, both of these women really are the reason I've ever made anything of myself uh, because uh, I think day one in advertising design, uh, Chris Miner was like, you know, you're probably here because you like art, um, but your family doesn't think you can make money with it. And like, I'm here to tell you, you can, and it's called design. And it's like, okay. All your parents are wrong, FYI. Yeah, fuck them. The future's very digital. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I learned all the aforementioned softwares there um, and really just... Um, I, don't, I think I only stuck with it because, like I said, I had accidentally taken all these art classes. I was accidentally good at art from just doing it when I was a kid. It wasn't the best, but yeah. like couple that with the memory palace of, of, of shortcuts and hotkeys and stuff, and I just became really good at the software. How does that transition into your life after high school? So my first job out of high school was a, just an internship at this little like design and manufacturing shop called New Tech. I was the, yeah, I was the intern. So my first summer, I think I made like $7 an hour. And all I did was cut out uh, glass Christmas ornaments from Margaret Cobain for her website, uh, which which my boss at the time was assembling her website for. And when I say cut out, I mean like a like 300 images of glass Christmas ornaments on white backgrounds. And I had to 
lasso tool them out because no one had ever taught me the pen tool at that time. Nice. Um, but <laughs> so that was a really, that was a slog. That's like, yeah. I, so I, I worked for the first year out of high school because I'm like, I have this skill. Why would I go to college? And, yeah. um, I quickly realized like I wasn't having any fun and all my friends were gone. So I went to Western for a year. Um, and were you surprised you got in? Cause you, you said you weren't super confident in your grades when you, I was surprised I got in. I applied everywhere. Like I yeah. applied, I applied to Oakland university and Michigan state. And yeah. like, I, I may have even, uh, thrown one to U of M just, you know, just to say I applied. Uh, <laughs> hey, you guys, it is sober October. Who's excited about that? I am. I am because I don't drink. What I do drink is really awesome, high quality craft beer in the non-alcoholic realm. And it's amazing what is out there and it keeps getting better and better. This year there is Oktoberfest beers available from multiple breweries. The market in, in non-alcoholic beer is growing exponentially. And one that sticks out to me that I want to mention for this episode is Bravis Brewing Company. They're out of California. They are one of the people that have Oktoberfest uh, this season, as well as all their flagship beers, IPA, Amber, Oatmeal Stout. Ooh, Christmas is coming. They have a barrel-aged maple stout. Mmm, it's very expensive, <laughs> but it's very tasty. So check them out at bravas.com, and you can use code FRIENDREQUEST to save 10%. So jump on the bandwagon with Sober October and try out some really awesome non-alcoholic craft beer at bravas.com and use code friend request all right back to the episode but, uh yeah western accepted me and i don't know really i can't tell you what i did while i was there like i, I did well i got like a three four three five or something the the one year that i actually went to yeah. western um and i had these illusions of uh joining like getting accepted into their jazz percussion department um, but then I, I'd, I'd hung out with some drummers who didn't make it. Um, and they were like, they, and they were just light years beyond me. So in that moment, I just, any aspirations I had at, at Western had kind of died. Um, but in the process, I, I, I took a creative writing class that I really enjoyed and just fell in love with, with language. Like, yeah. uh, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but you can fool people into thinking you are, if you just know how words work and <laughs> the order they should go in <laughs> Uh, and you, you know, focus on synonyms. Uh, but yeah, so that, that was Western is just like kind of partying and getting decent grades. Um, and I really didn't do any design work while I was there. I mean, I messed around with it, but, um, yeah, it really didn't become a career until I dropped out. Um, I'll fast, I'll, I'll just fast forward through all the dropout shit. I, I spent like six months at KVCC, Kalamazoo Valley Community College, yeah. failed every course, um, almost intentionally, like subconsciously. I just knew I only want to be here because my friends are here. I don't want to be here because I'm studying. I just wasted a ton of my parents' hard-earned money and like yeah. um, still feel really bad about it, <laughs> that, that I was privileged enough to like be funded as, yeah. as long as I could uh yeah to the to the point that i was and i just kind of shat on it which which really sucks to say out loud but um yeah after all that i i like everyone else thought my band was going to make it for the next i don't know how many years um what band was this uh the only band i've ever been in that i could actually say was a band was mesa day 
Okay. With uh, which is named after Mesa Day Lake. <laughs> I, I assumed as much. And but... everyone who didn't know the lake or us pronounced Mace Day, <laughs> which was arguably arguably a cooler name. But we were all like, um, it's Mesa Day. Um, but it was Mace Day. it was me, um, Robin Brian Chisholm, all right, and um, Matt Woody. Oh wow! Yeah, bassist from the Brouhaha's, um, back in <laughs> nice callback. Yeah, ninth grade. Yeah. Uh, who gave me my first big break as a drummer in high school? Um, Nick Hill was out like for two weeks or something, and I played two shows with the Brouhaha's. And that's fun. And it was awesome. Where'd you play? Where was that? We played at the Mosquito Club, in know. wherever that was. <laughs> I want to say like Redford or something, but I, I could, you know, again, run this by Aaron Bridgewater. Yeah. Uh, and then we played at the Alano Club in Clarkson off Clinton yeah, yeah. Road, which which I spent a lot of time at in high school. Yeah, you know, I am friends with so many people that say that, and I came in, like, right when they stopped doing shows there. Yeah. And I feel like I missed this entire thing, because then for the next, like, year, <laughs> it's all anyone ever talked yeah. about. And I was like, well, fuck. I derailed that. Uh, no, it's, where, where were we? we so were... You're, playing, you're playing in band yeah. uh, in Macy Day. Yep, and, I mean, we did a couple, like, just kind of basement recordings and things and just enough to remember the things that we wrote and then got into a studio uh woodshed studio used to be on nine mile in ferndale okay uh border of oak park in ferndale my my first studio experience so i recorded my album over at temper mill studios which is right uh, right near there yeah huh um I forget the guy's name i know i, I think he left and, and joined a band called the salt miners or he <laughs> anyway we can go down the... So he's rolling in money right he now. He sure is. <laughs> Punk, How old are you at this point when you're in this band? Probably 22, 23. Okay. Yeah, I would say I was in this band for maybe two years between 22 and 24 or something like that. Um, is this around the same time you're like slumming it with, with Tim occasionally? And Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and Tim never came to a show. Like, <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> That's funny. But like Tim, that was just... I mean, he may have, but like, that was just the way. I like the narrative that he didn't. That, that was just the way Tim was, though. Like, and everyone understood it. Like, uh, Tim was always fairly kind of hand wringingly awkward in, in certain scenarios. Yeah. And it was like, chief among them was probably if he had to be honest about how your show was. <laughs> so I think funny. rather than put himself in that position, he'd just not go. I love it. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we didn't play around very much. We had maybe. <clears throat> Maybe two or three really good shows um, because uh, our, our singer was capable of being a really good singer. I would compare him to the guy from Thursday, but with a, a better sense of key. <laughs> um, uh, key and uh, yeah, um, but he never practiced. Yeah. So inevitably we would show up to a show and he'd have stage fright and wouldn't be able to like hit, hit the notes. Um, and there were some days where it would just, you know, turn on like magic, but... Uh, that was always a point of contention between like silently on my end, like as the drummer who, uh, can't practice until the band practices because I've moved my drum set to the band space. Yeah. The fact that you have your fucking instrument with you wherever you go and you don't practice, it always drove me nuts. Uh, but at a certain point I went to a party and Jake Noel was there and he was like, I'm going to go to this school called Full Sail for recording arts. And I'm like, what's Full Sail? And he's like, oh, it's this, you know, basically explaining what Full Sail is, which is an accelerated program for media arts of all types. So uh, I realized my band wasn't going to go anywhere. I wasn't ever going to make more than 
$10 an hour wherever I was. And, and at the time, I had lied my way into an assistant manager position at Hollister. Nice. Which I, uh, I maintain, I did not know what Hollister was when I took the job. And it wasn't until my interview where I was offered the job that they explained it was part of um, Abercrombie and Fitch and, and that whole network. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh boy, how much is it paying? <laughs> but so I, I worked... Um, I worked in retail doing that for a while and then moved to working at Nordstrom. And all this time I'm kind of thinking about this full sale school and like how this place is going to make something of me if I go there. Um, so in early 2005, I just kind of made this clutch decision to quit everything and go to full sale. Where does this mindset come from throughout all this? Uh, and, and you mention it and I wonder if you, you clock it. Every, everything you're doing in, in the creative realm you said like you started it with this idea like oh this is gonna be this is gonna take me all the way the band's gonna take me all the way i'm gonna go to the full sale boom sky's the limit yeah yeah um where do you where do you think comes from that you approach these things with that sort of this instant gratification model well, the, or the confidence that it's gonna even go anywhere oh it's not confidence <laughs> It's, the lie you tell yourself that yeah, it's even going to go anywhere. It's the illusion of confidence. What it is, is a boy who never learned to stick with something long enough to see it through. So he gets Look real... around my basement. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, hey, no. You've stuck, you've stuck with a lot down here. I, I'm proud of you. <laughs> I am almost good at all of it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, we... So, yeah, I, I, I would say it wasn't a confidence. It may have just been what we now would call just privilege like i had this sense that like if i want to do something my parents will pay for it and they'll drive me there and it's a nice safety work out it is <laughs> and you know i'm still unlearning that and yeah. i think a lot of us probably still are um but uh that's if we've been <laughs> if we're modern enough to acknowledge it in the first place uh so so no yeah it was i i think i still have this excitement around what I think is a really cool idea. And then I can just instantly see the next five years of it. Yeah. Um, and then inevitably what happens is I'll fizzle out in the beginning steps of trying to make it happen. But by then I've told a bunch of people I'm going to do it. And then they ask me like two years later, like what happened to that boat you were going to build? And I'm like, it's a stack of wood over there. <laughs> you guys don't see, you don't see a boat when you look yeah, at that. That's a boat. Where's I'm, your vision? Yeah. I'm more of an expressionist or an impressionist than uh a completionist. <laughs> I don't know if I ever really thought my band was going to, like, you do think your band's going to make it because at that point it's like all you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. With the school, with Full Sail, it was, uh, I really had to make this choice because I had run out of my parents' money. Like, uh, they still had it, but <laughs> they were like, we're not going to pay for you to go to a different state yeah. and fuck around the way you did. Where's Full Sail? Full Sail's in Orlando, okay. or just outside of Orlando in Winter Park, although all of their communications say Orlando. <laughs> That's how they get you. Um, but so depending on who you talk to, Full Sail is either a horrible scam or it's a great school. And I, I kind of think it's both for me. Like I, I was at a point in my life where I needed this hard left um, or else I wasn't going to go anywhere. Yeah. And... Yeah, so I, I took out a, a, a shit ton of student loans. I took out about 90 grand, something like that. Um, because it's an accelerated program, you, you go to school 45, 50 hours a week. There's no time for work. Yeah. And it's like a, a tailor-made, it's like a tailor-made for-profit scenario 
that um, funnels you into the student loan ecosystem. Like I think Sally Mae had an office at the school nice. and it was alarmingly <laughs> easy for a 24 year old uh, ignorant kid to get 90 grand in loans. J yeah. Just like that, that's, you know, I'm taking that clip and that's the whole episode. <laughs> it's yeah. just student loan awareness. Yeah. Oh, I've got a lot more to say. We can, we can throw it in the epilogue, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, so I think it was both because uh, both a scam and both a good school because um, in hindsight, I could have learned everything they taught me through um, tutorials or yeah. or back then books because uh, <laughs> there was no YouTube until 2011 or, or so. Um, but I imagine even if you learned all that through that stuff, you still need that piece of paper that says you know how to do all that. well that's the funny part is in my entire career no one has ever asked me where i went to school no one's ever asked me what my gpa was and the irony right. of it is i did fucking well at full sale like i graduated second in my class i was salutatorian i which i didn't even know was a term it's like valedictorian salutatorian i just made it up now it's it's like the second highest grade in the class okay and um so i was chosen to be like the commencement speaker Ooh. um at, at is our, that on tape somewhere um <laughs> it is and it, i think you might be horrified to watch it because at that point i i thought the school was a scam so i walked up onto the nice. stage with a chip on my shoulder and gave this like incredibly curt um like kind of scathing speech of <laughs> of like uh, how fast things go and like I forget exactly what I said but like things change so fast that what we learned is already obsolete kind of thing and um, yeah but but I, di I did really well at Full Sail um, and I really enjoyed my time there and I met a lot of people and in some ways the reason I'm employed right now is through hands I shook while I was there and, and yeah. people they introduced me to and breaks I was given because someone thought I was funny in class like it's amazing it's amazing how how far a sense of humor and like an affable personality can take you. Oh yeah. Preaching to the choir. How long is that? If that's an accelerated program, how long are you there? Uh, so back then it was about two and a half years for a bachelor's. And now I think you can do it in just under two years. And so I actually, back then they didn't have a full bachelor's for the design program. They had an associates and then a completer program. I got my associates graduated, came back home for literally two weeks and then Nick Hill from the Brujahas uh, was then in 2006 living in Atlanta working as a uh, an advertising sales manager at a motorcycle magazine called Two Wheel Tuner. Nice. Um, this is the lowrider magazine of motorcycles for those of you reading car magazines in the late 90s. <laughs> Uh, and he offered me a job, um, and I, I did this little, like, design audition, and they liked it, and I flew down for an interview, and they liked me, and they are like, can you start Monday? And I'm like, okay. So I, I flew back home, packed everything in my 1998 uh, Chrysler Sebring, <laughs> and drove to Atlanta. And, I mean, looking back, I would never do it the way I did it again. It's just one of those things you kind of have to live through in order to become what you are. Like, I... I lived on Nick's, see, I don't know if it's actually Nick or James. Depending on who you talk to, he's James Hill, but, and other people call him Nick. I think there's something. That's with, a mystery I'd have no. Yeah, we won't solve it today. <laughs> but uh, he let me sleep on his couch for four months because um, by then my student loan payments had kicked in and I couldn't afford to live anywhere. And I realized the salary I was making was never going to allow me to pay off my loans and pay rent. 
he was he, like I, I I owe him a lot for letting me sleep on his couch. Like I, it was my first job that I cut. I really cut my teeth on and got a lot of good experience. And I ate shit for for the whole four months I was on his couch. And finally went to like get drinks with um, some people through work and met these two girls who had a really nice townhouse in in East Atlanta. And they let me live in the basement for like dirt cheap. Nice. Um, and like all I did was jerk off and play video games down there. But like. <laughs> Uh, no, they, they were, they were great and they were a little older than me and they were in advertising. So I kind of had this vision of like, if I stick with this, I it, like, if I, if I stick with design, maybe go to advertising or whatever and just yeah. take some chances, I could be like them, have a nice townhouse, all that. But, um, yeah, that, that lasted another two or three more months and I, the math just didn't add up for my salary and my student loans. And I chose to go back to school, take out more loans, uh, finish my bachelor's. These loans are too much. I'm going, I mean. Yeah. That's why I have three associate's degrees. Just keep deferring the loans. Yeah. Because the longer you're in school, the yeah. longer you don't have to pay them. Well, I, I know some people who went to full sale just straight up never paid and like went through this like seven years of- uh, Bankruptcy. Yeah. And, and never had to pay a dime and now their credit's fine again. And I'm like, good, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but me, I struggled to pay those them shits, I believe is the proper term, for the next 15 years and they just weren't going anywhere. So over the past- uh, it was from 2017 to 2020. No, 2018 to 2020. Uh, I moved back in with my parents and lived in their basement and just paid everything I owned. Oh, really? Or everything I made at my loans. Yeah. It was I had a, no idea. It was a major crisis of confidence and like a major pill I had to swallow. Yeah. Um, didn't really hang out with a lot of people. Certainly never invited anybody over. Um, didn't tell people much about my situation. Um, and, and the kind of juxtaposition to me living in my parents' basement was I now had this great paying job with like a leadership position and, uh, I'm in advertising and I'm doing well. And like, I look like I'm doing well. <laughs> I have like nice shirts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could and, argue though, that that's like to make that decision for yourself is so responsible in a way, like to, to look, you know, cause it's like, okay, I could literally struggle with this for the next the rest of my life. Sure. Yeah. Or I could like suck it up for a couple of years. It's going to suck, but like then it, then it's over. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's, that's discipline to, to make that decision. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was a lot of, um, arm twisting by my mother too. Cause she actually had the idea like a decade sooner and I should have done it. Then. Every mother wants their son to move back. Yeah, home. She selfishly wanted me back in that yeah. basement. Um, <laughs> but also she saw that it wasn't, they weren't going anywhere. And, um, honestly, most people I spoke to over the, the 10 or 12 years, I was repaying them. They'll probably say like all Adam talked about was his loans and how they were stifling and, Bummer. It contributed a lot to like this sense of like imposter syndrome or like these things that like I, I'm never going to go anywhere with this ball and chain on and like I'm acting like I am and I, I don't know yeah it was it was it was fucked up so I should have done it sooner it feels like it came too late to be called responsible but I appreciate you I mean I, I would argue it's harder the later it is yeah yeah it's. <laughs> Especially, like I said, you're in a leadership position at your company, and like yeah. if someone asks you where you live, you just got to go. Ah, I'm up in Clarkston, actually. <laughs> well, and we're both pushing forty. Yeah. And... So people believed I had land in Clarkston, like I had a house in Clarkston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You do. You just, you don't own it. <laughs> yeah. I think what I would say is I'd be like, I'm staying at a place up in Clarkston or like I, uh, I'm renting. Independence Oaks. Yeah. You uh, guys know uh, that. You know, Independence Oaks, yeah. near there, just near there. Um, but yeah, so pay, paid off the loans relatively quickly. Um, paid my fa- final loan laying in bed alone and just like felt this just like wash of joy and re- like I could have cried. Yeah. paying that last payment and it was like a big one too i just i almost went broke paying the last payment just because i wanted to fucking empty it you know saw the end I, in sight yeah and like, i yes. think i dropped like four grand uh wow. just like booping on my phone uh and woke <laughs> up debt free the next morning that's and awesome yeah it was it was really great that's, yeah that's got that's got to be a great feeling i think the most i ever did was like pay off 10 grand on a credit card and don't get me wrong it felt great when it was gone yeah yeah <laughs> but uh you know, student loans are still a thing and they're going to be a thing because I'm starting a master's program. Oh, boy. Um, but uh, what is what's going on in your just going back to the I don't know if you want to call it social anxiety or or, yeah. or whatever that is. My sweet spot. Let's where, go there. <laughs> yeah. But like throughout the years of all this, uh, I mean, what's going on there? Because like I said, it's it's so funny to, you know, with anybody, you know, right. You create a narrative of that person. Yeah. Um. And so to hear that opposite happening in, in the background, <laughs> I, I'm just so curious, like what that looks like for you in, the, in that time in your twenties throughout the different colleges and playing in the band and, uh, these jobs where you're able to use your creativity, like are in ways, do you feel the same now that you described how you're feeling when you were in high school? I still have the apprehension or I still have this like looming sense that no one wants to hang out yeah. and it, it does suck because I, I now have this completely new group of friends who are much younger than me and are much nicer than any friends I ever had. Like these are people who never score off of each other in when they're hanging out. Like no one makes fun of each other. Yeah. yeah. And it was the first time I had ever experienced that. You know, all my friends in high school it was like you constantly had to have your armor up um, because the way they had fun was making fun of each other and everybody else. And in, you know, really clever ways. But uh I was just always too sensitive for that. Yeah. I, I still have that sense that no one really wants to hang out, even though this group of people are really great to each other and to me and like they're huggers. Like yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's kind of like a, a movie, really, like how, how great all these people are. And everyone's creative, motivated. Like some of these people are the most successful people I've ever known. Like one one of these guys is uh, was playing guitar and touring with Junior Junior, if you know that band. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, my other friend runs... Uh, I, what I would call the best animation studio in, in Michigan uh, called Gunner in, in Corktown in Detroit. All these people are creative and successful at it in some way, and they didn't have to go to full sale. <laughs> they just did tutorials. I wouldn't say I have the same social anxiety uh, in the same ways, and it's mainly because I've, I've like taken it out and looked at it, yeah. and anytime I see it come up, I go, okay, I need to go around that. So you're able to identify it. Yeah, yeah, I'm able to navigate in a different way. And I've, in a sense, become this, like, brutally open and self-deprecating person in in public so that people will, like, I'm not lying to anybody about who and how I am, but I'm also, like, making them laugh because I'm willing to talk about... well, I, I, I should stop myself. I'm not willing to talk about everything. I have my deep insecurities that I will not, like, yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll turn red if someone, like, points out. But, um, yeah, my sweet spot is sort of this self-deprecating sense of humor, which I think to people who have this image of me crafted, like you said, this confident sort of standy-uppy 
Those are the words. Well, yeah, use. just like uh, I, I'm big standy uppy. That's a phrase. I, that's my go-to. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I just uh, and I and this is funny because the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm talking to you. I think part of my image of you is based on my image of myself. You know, um, seeing someone like you, I would assign that to you because you because I don't have it right and. I think that was that's part of where I came up with this image of this, like super confident, in in who you are and who you're hanging out with and all that stuff. So it's it's so strange to me to hear that the other way. And so I I think that's where that image came from is my own insecurities, um, about myself. But that aside, <laughs> yeah, you're I cut you off I think to tell you that story. But no, I I, I think. Um... I, I saw this graphic once of like four people and it's like, who wants to fuck who? This is a little tangent, but I think it works for like who we sort of look at as that guy's got it together. Yeah. But, but it was like four people in a square and the woman's looking at this guy, but that guy's looking at this girl and this girl's looking at this guy. And they're just like this, this circle of the person they're looking at, not looking at them. Yeah. Um, I love the graphic, uh, but like it reminds me of like, it, like you had this sense of me that... And I don't know how it made you feel about yourself or not, but like I had people like that as well. And I'm sure if I dug into them, they'd be like, oh shit, I was so insecure that whole time. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, but you stood up so straight. You <laughs> you spoke so loud with your baritone. Big focus on posture. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just hate slouchiness. Oh, you're, you should see me right now? <laughs> oh, yeah, but you could slouch and still be like 6'4", I think. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, well, that's the problem. I'm 6'3". Like I have to slouch in most situations. <laughs> and that's what I've noticed is unfortunately a lot of tall people I think are just beat down in school and they become slouchers to try and feel the same height as everyone else. I don't know if that's what you do, but I, you know, so I have zero idea. I, I get it a little more now with like comes with self-confidence, but, um, how big I am. Like I'm, I can say you it just on paper. learned like, how big you are. <laughs> yeah. Like seriously, I like, cause I'm six, three, two fifty, right? Like yeah, big guy. That's like wrestling stats. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you broke my rib when you hugged me in the foyer. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't want to say You're anything, fucked, but dude. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to high five you later. Um, <laughs> Fuck. No, I, but I like when I, this went away when I lived in LA because I, I realized like you kind of have to have a mentality of like, don't fuck with me when you're walking around in yeah. certain areas. Otherwise people will fuck with you no matter what you look like. Yeah. Um, but I, I spent decades of my life just walking around any old place and just waiting for someone to fuck with me. I was like, someone's going to fuck with me. Cause like, look at me. I'm just this like little nothing not thinking like oh no i'm like why would anyone fuck with the tall guy (laughs) walking down the road um because i just like thought so little of myself that i was just waiting i thought people were gonna fuck with me yeah but i'm sure that that i'm sure that people did like there are those insecure small men yeah in stature or being yeah that will look at you and go they see you as a challenge because they're like fuck that guy for being so tall but i I didn't hold myself to that so i don't think that people like i Thankfully, I've never had a bunch of conflict in that way. Good. Uh, and I always talking earlier about like kind of adapting to the crowd you're hanging out with or whatever. Like I've always done that. So yeah, uh, it's never really been an issue for me, thankfully, yeah. but I always think it's going to be because that's like how I grew up. I, I know what you mean, though, because I I've never looked tough, so I haven't been targeted in that way. But yeah. and, and I hesitate to even say this because I, I am such an insecure person, and I think that people have this image of me, uh, especially people I think that maybe went to high school with me, and I had like gelled hair and wore sweater turtlenecks and stuff. But you guys like, know that kid. I, 
there multiple times have been people that I don't know and I and like I'm out somewhere yeah. and they just see me guy or girl and they instantly want to like tear me down or challenge me and like the most recent example is like this girl I was at my friend's house at a party and this girl was really drunk I, I didn't I didn't know her and like she just looked at me and was like fuck you <laughs> I know you with your Elvis pompadour and your skin or like whatever i don't know whatever the fucking thing she said to me yeah. but um yeah. my friend had to come over and like calm her down and be like easy you don't you don't know him like you're yeah. you're like ramping yourself up anyway i've had people like look at me assume something about me and then want to tear me down and attack me not knowing i'm already tearing myself down every step i take yeah people have weird insecurities yeah and that i mean that's that's what that says to me is that it's like I don't know, someone fucked her over at one point and he probably looked good. <laughs> it's, man, it is so that simple. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it took me a really long time until a relationship in 2011 <clears throat> where I dated this girl in just like a firestorm of a relationship uh, for three months. She was younger than me. She was gorgeous and she knew it. And like, I couldn't stop fucking up and I didn't know what I was doing. But then like, I, f I finally just had to break up with her because things just, I couldn't do anything right. Yeah. And one of my good friends, one of these huggers, uh, <laughs> was like, don't you see, she's really insecure. Like I saw that the first moment I saw her. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, every room she walks into, she's looking around to see who's looking at her. Uh, she can't leave the house without X, Y, or Z. And like, uh, I was like, I just had this like paradigm shift where it's like uh, everyone is obvious to me now. Like yeah. what, whatever pain you have, whatever what, whatever thing you're emanating, whether it's strength and confidence, it's compensating for insecurity and weakness. It's it's almost that exactly opposite. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's obviously ex exceptions to the rule, but like generally, if I meet another woman that's like her, um, it's not like I resent them or anything. It's like I I see you. Yeah. And like I, it affects how I approach them now because I'm not going to like, I just know that they're hurt and hurt people hurt people, which I think is like a, a brilliant little loop that's yeah, yeah. also true. It's so true. Like, uh, you know, there's so many, I don't want to say just women. I'm just like, I've spent this time trying to think of a guy in this situation. I can't, but like, so I'm just going to say like, there's so many women on social media that I think people generally are like oh they're gorgeous uh and but all their pictures are like filters of some sort and i'm just like i can't i fucking can't like I, it drives me nuts yeah um because it just yeah to me it just screams like i'm not comfortable <laughs> with who i really am yeah, yeah. Um, which i think is like the least attractive quality yeah um uh, ironically because like that's that's me in a nutshell most of my life but yeah it's a yeah it's a strange thing and and it's but i think isn't it nice to look at things with that lens instead of looking at things like most people are assholes. <laughs> oh my God. My life changed after that relationship. And after my friend had sort of clued me into the, the real world and the reality of people. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know why I remained naive for so long or like I couldn't see it. I think I've always been a pleaser. Like I'm always afraid to make someone mad or like um, do something wrong. And I think that relationship was just like everything had been turned up to 11. Like I, I would bend over backwards for her. Like I, 
I would spend a ton of money trying to impress her because she would vocalize like, I'm worth this. Uh, like one time we, we went out to dinner and she was pretty codependent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but like, um, she had these strange, and I, I, I hate that I'm talking about a woman and like the only example you could come up with was women because here we are two straight white guys <laughs> just basically using women as examples for, for this thing we've realized, but it is all people. Yeah. I mean, I can name off plenty of insecure guys and I'll say once again, like I'm one of the, or yeah. I, I, I like to think that I, I'm not as much, but. Well, I think maybe both of us ha- have earned through one one way or another, like some emotional intelligence to to like stop ourselves from acting out a certain way because of our trauma or pain. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I actually owe a lot to this girl and to my friend because, yeah, my life just kind of changed after that. And not only was I able to see insecurity, I was able to identify it welling up inside me and and recognize how I was responding to it uh, and how I would treat people in those moments. And I think it's, I still treat people like shit. Like I'm a bastard. No, <laughs> no I mean, like I, I, it, it helped me move through the world in, in a way that was, I think just more honest with who yeah. I am. That's awesome. I stopped gelling my hair. I like <laughs> get out, get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that, but that, but that's that's awesome, and it's I think it's a sign of uh, of growth to be able to shift your perspective because that's that's a big thing, right? Like that's a that's a big big thing. We don't, to, you know, we get glued into these things, and that's why you if you meet, you know, like shit. Look at my mom. I've been trying to like shift her <laughs> perspective on stuff for for years, but like the older you are, the the less that's gonna happen. So well, also. I do a lot of like an inordinate amount of thinking about my beliefs and other people's beliefs. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like this, um, this emotional intelligence concept, but like once you're aware of your beliefs, you can start to examine them and how brittle they are. And I think that when you, re- when you build your whole sense of self and knowledge around things, you actually only believe, then you're more protective of your perspective because it's all propped up by these brittle beliefs. Whereas if you really question your beliefs and refine them into knowledge, they're not brittle, they're malleable because you can shift the things that you know based on new things you learn. But if you're constantly adhering to these beliefs that you inherited from your family and they inherited from their family, then you're never gonna grow and you're only gonna be angry when everyone, whenever anyone challenges your beliefs. So like my mantra is like, have you questioned your beliefs today? Yeah, because yeah I, t- I try to approach everything like like with an open mind of, I'm likely wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like I can learn stuff that will show that I'm wrong. Yeah. Until then, this is how I feel. <laughs> I'm one Googling, one Google away from being had yeah. right here. But I just met with the the person, like the head of my master's program and just like asking me like what I want to study and stuff. And I was like, well, like currently I believe. That, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, like everything is rooted in trauma and, and like going through that can solve a lot of problems in the long run. And like, um, you know, I, I will probably be proven wrong in along the way, but like that's where my focus is, and 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 that's how I feel like you should feel about most things. Like, yeah, you you're gonna learn other things. <laughs> yeah, they, they might contradict what you know. Yeah, and that's got to be okay. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's 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 a lot like working out. Like a lot of people will work out for the first day or two, and then it hurts, and you're like, ah, oh, this is just hard. <laughs> Growth is hard, physical or mental, and like 
I, I would argue that mental is even harder because especially if you're going at it full bore, you end up saying a lot of wrong shit or putting yourself in situations that you believed were right only to realize they were wrong. But you yeah. only realize they're wrong because, again, you have that you're examining. And if you're never examining, you're just never going to realize you're wrong and you'll fight to the death thinking you are. Yeah. Uh, and then you'll die and everybody will know you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but Well, on that note... Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I, I I don't know if I have anything else. I know we jumped around, but I, I, I'm i obsessed with everything we talked about. So, I've really been looking forward to this because I think that you and I, like we have had this sort of um, tr- like um, undulating Venn diagram of who we are and where we are yeah. and like the things we're into. Um, like I love podcasts and I, I've listened to podcasts for as long as there have been podcasts. Yeah. Like. Uh, I had the first video iPod and like really got yeah. into that is one thing that I, I think you've proven my narrative to be correct is you are you are a, a hipster in the way of you are always on the leading edge of, of things that are cool. I'm an early I'm an early adopter. Yeah. I'm also the ambassador <laughs> of everything. Like if you want some guy to be super positive about this mildly exciting thing, like I am I am your guy. Yeah. I will rant on Facebook about how everyone should buy it. Uh I just read a battery post you wrote about, <laughs> about battery powered things. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm. So I'm, I'm working at GM now, and I'm, I'm doing um, the, the basically the dash experiences for the EVs. How oh, cool! Um, which is, which was another hard left in my life, going from advertising, um, yeah. doing brand design and, and brand strategy and visual identity stuff, logos, colors, sexy stuff to. Um, in-vehicle user experience. Like, where's the radio button? <laughs> yeah, right. And it's all touchscreens and stuff, but... Um, yeah. How dare you? It's, it, it was... Um, I don't think I would have taken it if it weren't for it being in the EV sector. Like, I know it's the future. I know yeah. uh, alternative something is the future. And so... Let's uh, hope so. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but I just saw... I just see this incredible potential in the battery-operated power tools space and that's what that post was about but it ended up being yeah. this like rambling just like ambiently glowing review anyway that's just boring <laughs> shit there's a graph that you could find uh that will tell you yeah the second the second half was just all about batteries all about batteries <laughs> um uh, you know what stuck out to me though is and this is a weird thing to like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm looking for advice necessarily. It's very strange. So you're just talking about your, your group of friends. Now you're hugging friends. Yeah. They're huggers. Um, I'm dealing with this where, and I, it's a mixture of like sobriety plus therapy. Plus, uh, I've just like, I've done a shit ton of work on myself in the last like year and a half. And I realized that I was expecting all of these people in my life, like to be close friends with me. And I never, I realized I never gave myself out there. Like, it's always jokes. It's always, like, surface. Like, the walls are always up, right? Cause yeah. Because I don't know what's going to get You're thrown back at me. performing, yeah. Yeah, and plus, you know, well, my brother was, like, a fucking terror to me my whole life. So I'm sorry. I, that's fine. I, so I had my, my walls up. Like, any, any personal information you know about me can be used as ammunition against me. So I just, like, at one point, get hurt, get hurt, get hurt, and then just stop sharing altogether. Yeah. Um but I didn't realize I was doing that. So I was still expecting people to like, to want to get to know you. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm at a point where I'm like, Ooh, now I want to do that. (laughs) 
and now it's like as COVID ends, uh, air quotes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a soft ending. Yeah. But as well as I'm seeing people again, it's like I feel like I'm given an opportunity to kind of like reintroduce myself. Yeah. And so I guess where I was going with that question was like, how did that happen that you like ended up with a group of friends that had a different dynamic like that than what you'd been doing with your friends for ages? Um, <clears throat> Coincidence? <laughs> It was really coincidence. I mean, a lot of it had to do with I just spent a lot of time away out of state um, in school um, at Full Sail. And I think a lot of my quote unquote friends from high school like were off doing their own things. And we maybe hung out when I came back for a little while. But for the most part, those relationships had fizzled out and probably should have. I was pursuing the wrong things in, in friends back then. To this day, though, I, I and it's not just because Tim is famous and, <laughs> and like, super funny, but, like... Tim, if you don't listen to this episode, I will fucking kill you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tim, Tim has always been, I think, the only friend that I could just say the weirdest thing to that I couldn't say to anybody else, and he, he'd know exactly what I meant by it and where it was coming from, and, and then would yes-and it, and like we could we could rap on it for, for 15 or 20 minutes. And yeah. maybe, maybe that's just because he's an excellent improviser, but he's the only friend I've ever had in my life where um, we kind of have the same weird sentimentality about very specific things and so i think we understood each other in a in a certain way like there there was this one example i was i was telling him um and i've never been able to articulate it to anybody in a way that they understand but like at one point i was i was going through the storage area in our basement in the house i was like 17 and i saw a couple like weights like exercise weights that my mom had bought for a kit like an exercise kit Mm. and i started crying like looking at the weights um and I think wrapped up in it is maybe this sense of like, I've always wanted my mom to stick with it and like do what she saw herself doing when she bought those. But yeah. her and I are the same in that, like we never do um, with, you know, it's a pretty profound thought at 17. Well, I didn't have it. I just had that thought right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tim pointed it out when I no. but I told Tim that story and he had an example of his own of the same weird emotion um, that, that just had these layers of like our own self-doubt wrapped up against like what we thought was our, our parents self-doubt or, um, and that's just one example. Like, and then, so when I moved away and he moved away and we just kind of went and did our separate things, um, I've just, yeah, I wish Tim and I were closer, but it's hard. You know, he, he, when he comes back, he's, it's like family. I don't want to try and take away from that. Um, and if you go out with Tim now, it's like, everyone recognizes him so i have a lot of hesitation about does he have like a unique look about him um a a bit i think (laughs) if people know tim they probably remember but you add that into your time is pulled in so many different directions yeah when you come back to visit you mean yeah yeah Yeah. you have to do this i imagine yeah that's just the added thing like if you have a celebrity behind it too that's exactly what i'm getting at yeah uh, and so that's, and then that's a bummer. <laughs> and then there's also this this and I've I've brought it up with Tim too. Like I'm almost apprehensive to like um, call him or message him because I I don't like the more famous he gets, I, yeah. I don't want him to think I'm just. I'm not even close with him, and I feel the same fucking way. I'm just glad he hasn't blocked me yet. I'll text him like once yeah. every two years. Yeah, I'll be like, oh my god, me and Dan were just talking, and you, me and Dan, and my brother, we should all get together next yeah. time you're in town. Yeah. By the way, next time I talk to you, I'll be sober because I'm fucking wasted right now. Um, yeah, no, I, I, 
Speaking of, uh, real quick on that. Yes. Um, also, are you out of, out of time? Because I have so much more I want to say. I mean, I, I have all the time in the world. I'll sit here and, and talk with you for forever because this is, I, I'm. I do, I do think page. we're very similar. My glasses as... hurt a little. Do you get that? From uh, the sometimes headphones? when the headphones pinch yeah, them into my the temples. Ears. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what was I going to say? Where was I going? Weird Al. Yeah. There, so I don't know if you listen to the daily or not. Um, but the New York Times does the daily podcast. Yeah. And on the weekends, they do the Sunday read, which is just like a no news. Just kind of like I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right. Sorry. <laughs> you just listened to my interview with my friend Adam. Uh, we kind of trailed off at the end. There was never really an official end of the podcast because we just kept talking. I think eventually I took my headphones off because they were hurting my ears. Uh, but like I said at the beginning, you know, we went for two and a half hours and we could have easily gone for much longer. And I think we actually did. Like when it wasn't recording, we were still yapping it up. So this was uh, this was really a great a great time and another reminder that you know I can really make real connections in this podcast and uh, find out that people share just the strangest of things, uh, not the least of which is their own insecurities. So that was great. He was great. You are great. The listener. Thank you guys so much. And I am so excited. We're, we're jumping into the fall now. I got my beer reviews happening if you're not already following that, you can go to Beers and 90s on Instagram or YouTube or go to the SoberCurator.com. You can see my weekly reviews of non-alcoholic beers. And there's a lot of really good stuff in that category because of the winter. Uh, on top of that, if you want to stay more up to date or ask previous guests questions, you can join my Patreon over at Patreon.com slash FriendRequestPod. Check that out. Or just go over to the friend request pod Instagram and you can click the links for everything right there in the bio. So guys, thank you so much. I will talk to you next week. Um, I will probably still be at this dining room. <laughs> Hopefully I will be back to my normal setting soon. That all depends on the insurance company. <laughs> so I will talk to you later. Okay. I love you. Bye-bye.